welcome to Viewfinder Vikings podcast. This is episode number seven, I think. And this is the first episode ever where I have a guest. And I thought to myself, why not start with a bang, start with a pro, <laughs> start with a legend, Mr. Simon Foster from the Classic Lenses podcast. How are you? I'm, I'm, I'm very well, and uh, nobody's ever called me a legend before, and quite possibly never again either. So, but, th but thank you all the same. Don't, don't your fellow podcasters greet you with that every every time? No, no, oh, okay. it's it's just it's derision every week. Oh, we've got to speak to you again, have we, Simon? That's that's pretty much how I'm greeted every week. Yeah, I was thinking about that actually. I was thinking about who, if if there is an aide, a Rachel and a Graham on each podcast, which one are you? Oh, well, I'm I'm definitely aide, <laughs> um, and uh, we, and it's and it's pretty clear. Even Graham's actually uh, said it as much that uh, Johnny and uh, Graham are pretty much separated at birth. They they the. Uh, <laughs> The, the trouble the trouble in the uh, in the group and then uh, you've got um, Rachel and uh, Carl who are the, uh, the the sensible ones that keep us back on track every now and again at least anyway oh man that's so funny okay so uh, this interview or this podcast is uh, mainly about film photography but of course we have to talk about your podcast and about lenses because I have the chance to to be uh, taught something today because I know nothing about classic lenses. But we'll start with, with your background. Um, uh, when, how did you start with photography? Uh, it's, it started you know, when, I was a, when I was a kid, um, just like most, most children are interested in photography. Um, uh, and I'd love to be able to get hold of uh, my dad's camera. And I used to um, uh, look in, they, they would have a, a, a company over here, a shop in, in the UK called Argos, and they would have a, a catalogue uh, with all the pictures of all the things that they would sell. And you could go into the, the, the shop itself was on the high street, so it wasn't actually mail order as such. Uh, but you can see all, all of these, uh, these these items that you could buy. And uh, I knew that you know, we weren't we weren't a well-off family. Um, and uh, I would look at these cameras. And the, the only things that I knew that there was a chance of my dad going out and buying was probably some, some kind of um, Helena uh, 110 camera with a, with, a, with a flash, with a permanent flash that you know, didn't actually need flash bulbs that, uh, that, that, that expired. So um, I'd try and persuade my dad to, uh, to to get one of those. And when we had one of these these first Helena cameras with a, I think that the flash on it uh, was called an Everflash, I think it was. It was built into it and it would, it, you could use it as many times as you like. So uh, that was a really big deal. So that was back in, that must have been in the 70s or, yeah, yeah around about the 70s. So I used to like playing with that, although uh, back in those days, you, you, children and cameras didn't really go together uh, because it was viewed as being a, a serious thing and uh, and it was expensive, you know. So uh, if you know every photograph you took, it, it was it was going to cost some money. So um, you couldn't have your kids running around taking photographs willy nilly. So it was always a treat when when I was allowed to actually take a photograph. So I think that was the that was the seed. Um, and then when I left school, um, I was uh, I was hoping to actually go to to college 
uh, for photography. But so it was always something that interested me. And uh, my dad bought me a camera um, when I was 16, and it was a Yashica um, FX3 Super. So, oh, wow, um, those are great. Oh, absolutely, and uh, and I I love that camera, and it, and it was it was we went up to a, a local shop um, um, back in the days. I mean, I'm talking when are we talking now? We're probably talking about 1985, something like that. So there were there were plenty of photography shops back in the day, and uh, most of them being independent shops. And this particular shop I went to was uh, it was called Tungs T U N G S, and um, I think I think there were. I'm just trying to work out which country they were actually from now. I never actually quite worked it out, but uh, um, but but certainly they, like many shops in in the day, they were the owners were eccentric, <laughs> um, and very opinionated. And uh, and this was one of those shops where you'd look at it from the outside, it would just be crammed full of new gear and old gear, um, tightly packed onto glass shelves. And used to just you could just stand there for half an hour just just looking at each shelf and all the the wonderful things that were on there, um, but you were very very nervous to actually go into this place uh, because you just had the feeling as soon as you stepped in there you were not going to be able to get out of it without buying something. Um, so uh, at the time when I realised that you know, my dad was going to buy me a camera, we we went in there and. Uh, and we, we, Mr. Tung had a had a chat to me about what kind of photography I wanted to do. You know, did I want to be a photographer and all this kind of stuff? Mm-hmm. And I had ideas on what I, what I might want. So I've been reading all the magazines um, as you did at the time, and uh, and I, I quite fancy something like a Nikon because that was the uh, they were the professional cameras of the day. Um, and I think that my dream camera at the time was something like a Nikon FA uh, because it just did absolutely everything. So I think. Back in back in those days, as of now, I'm I'm always fascinated by by the technical side of cameras and what the camera can do. Because if a cam- if a camera could do more things, therefore I could take more photos and different types of photos. That was that was my thinking. Right. And um, so this Nikon FA was uh, was top of the list, but it was just way too expensive. There was no chance of me going to get one of those. Um, and Mr. Tung um, realised that. Yeah, I wasn't. My dad wasn't going to be able to afford to buy any Nikon, um, but uh, he appreciated the fact that I liked. Um, I wanted something that was sharp. Uh, I wanted sharp lenses and things like that. And uh, and he he said, "Well, take a look at this this Yashica, um, because it you know it takes Yashica lenses, which he this Mr. Tung loved. Um, but more to the point, you know, when I could afford it in the future, I might be able to actually start buying some Carl Zeiss lenses." And uh, which, in his opinion, were the best, uh, and that sort of stayed with me a little bit. So, uh, so that was um, that was my first camera, and uh, it was just a had a simple meter in there. Um, I think I think it was simple anyway. It was um, I think it just told you when it was overexposed and underexposed, and then a green light in the middle if it was correctly exposed. Um, and I think that was as sophisticated as it was, um, but. That it was just a, a great thing to 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 learn with, um, yeah. And I just I really really enjoyed that for, that first camera. I think I think that's the the uh, the the version that has a sh- uh, shutter speed of one two thousandths of a second, right? I think is that the I super? Th- no, I I think that is the 
I think it's actually called the 2000 that one. So this this one oh, it was okay. a, a th- it was a thousandth of a second. It wasn't as sophisticated as uh, <laughs> as, the, as as that one. So this okay. this was a, an earlier version. Well, I have the uh, the FR one, I think, and uh, I really like that camera. I I just wish the uh, the lenses were a little bit more uh, I don't know common. I have bought a few lenses where it was just so full of mold and 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 fungus. Uh, even if the seller said it's clean, so and that was sort of like there was probably eight or nine of those uh, lenses on eBay at that time. So it's not super common with those cheaper Yashica lenses, other than the fifty-one-seven, of course. But anyway, so. So you're you you're off to a good start with the uh, with the Yashica and uh, what happens next? When did you get your photography drought? Um, well, that didn't didn't quite happen uh, straight away, but uh, yeah, I, I, um, I applied to um, a college uh, on the south coast in England to uh, for a photography course, having left school, uh, but that. Ultimately, that didn't happen for me. There were uh, reasons at home that uh, meant that uh, going on to further education wasn't going to happen for me. So I just had to go out and get myself a job, uh, which is which is what I did. But in the meantime, I was that meant that I could actually afford to buy more lenses. Uh, I was even you know, right from the get go. <laughs> I was I was I was interested in lenses. Um, again, it's it's one of those things. I've always I've always liked gear that can do things for me and uh, and so it's a case of if i want to take wide angle lens shots then i need a wide angle lens if i want to do telephoto or a, a longer lens and so therefore i need as as many things that can cover all the bases because i didn't actually know at the time what i wanted to take um, but i knew that if i wanted to take something then i needed the equipment to do it so all my spare spare cash would go uh, go go towards that um i i got to the point where i was i was shooting uh, color in black and white and then i was realizing well there are times when i want to shoot color and times when i want to shoot black and white and so i realized that the the only real way to do that the realistic way was to buy a second body and uh and that was that was a big moment for me because i managed to save up and i bought a contacts 159 mm um, and I bought that with a motor drive as well, or motor wind. It wasn't motor drive, it was motor wind. Uh, because motor drives are faster than motor wind, so I couldn't couldn't afford that. <laughs> um, but uh, but as soon as I got that, you know, it, 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 with this motor wind on it, it, it it's um, screwed on onto the onto the camera, and I, it just made me feel like I'm a pro now. Um, <laughs> and it it came with a uh, a Carl Zeiss uh, 51.7 lens. Uh, which 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 I really liked, um, and I had some. I really really enjoyed using that camera, but after about a year, um, the Canon had uh, then released uh, the EOS cameras um, first with the 650, and then they produced the 620. And the 620, this I was just completely sucked into the specifications on it. Apart from this, this wondrous thing called autofocus, it's uh, it's also had a very fast shutter speed. I think it might have had spot metering on it as well. I can't quite remember. Um, so it, it it was it just ticked all my gearboxes, and decided, well, this is the way to go. So uh, so I, I, I sold uh, the 159 and uh, all all my kit. Uh, Yashica and uh, Contacts kit and uh, bought 
um, the 620 along with a, a few Canon lenses. And at first I was, I was like amazed at this ability to just press a button and uh, something to be immediately in focus. And uh, I thought, wow, this, this is great. And it makes a bleeping sound as well, which was great <laughs> as well. Um, and then probably about a month or so, two months in, into having it, I was there thinking, well, it just feels like a bit of plastic this thing does. And, and, I, and somehow I was becoming less involved uh, with the photographs I was taking. So I pretty much put it down to this autofocus thing. I was thinking, well, it's just taking everything away from me. Um, and to the point where I, I just wasn't enjoying my photography anymore. And I went back to Mr. Tongue and uh, traded in uh, my uh, Canon gear and, and managed to actually buy back some of my uh, contacts gear that I'd sold him before. Um, and I, I tried to buy my old uh, 159 back, but that had gone. Um, but he had another one in which wasn't the best one, but it was it was cheap enough. Uh, in fact, I think it had a Yashica back on it because um, you mentioned earlier about the uh, the FR, uh, Yashica FR. Um, I, I'm pretty sure that's one of the contacts models. I'm not sure if it's the 139. Uh, it's just like slightly re-engineered. So a lot of the parts are actually interchangeable, and, uh, and this was the case with the 159. Um, but... I had that camera back and uh, I also managed to save up and bought a uh, 50 mil 1.4 planar to go with it. And, uh, and that lens has, has stayed with me to today. Uh, and it's absolutely my, uh, my, my, my favorite lens. Awesome. Well, so, so uh, you, um, you, you find quite early on uh, that, the autofocus part of uh, photography or the, the auto part of the photography was not up your alley or. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly the, the, the autofocus part. Um, I've, I'm a fan of technology um, and I like technology in, in cameras um, and, uh, and that, that continues today. So the, the automatic part of a camera or whether it's automatic or not, doesn't, doesn't really, bother me that much I, I, either way but certainly uh, manual focus is is something that um, yeah I've, I've it's it's a bit like driving a car um, you know if a car's got good steering um, it's that goes such a such a long way to actually and uh, enjoying the experience and, and and if you actually you know if a car doesn't have great steering it just it just to, you know, the, you turn the wheel and it just turns and it doesn't provide you any kind of feedback. You know, mm. it's, it does a job, but I find that you, you, you won't enjoy it as much. And, and autofocus versus manual focus is exactly the same for me. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I'm, I'm sort of the same with, uh, as you were talking about lenses, that's the same way I feel about camera bodies. And because uh, you... You sort of uh, need a camera or a lens for a specific need, whereas I, um, I'm not so worried about the lens, but I'm very, very worried about the camera body because, uh, because I do my I I work as a photographer. I I do I have to sort of say yes to everything that pops in my, my uh, inbox. So I can do anything from a family portrait uh, indoors with with the uh, tungsten lights and gels and flashes and the next day I can be in minus 10 degrees uh, outside uh, some 
awful soccer game in in the snow and so my camera buddy needs to handle everything from a to c and um i've i sort of i thought about that when you spoke about how you needed your lenses to be like that but uh, my lenses has always been i i just buy the the lens that i need for sports and uh almost always that's enough for everything else too so as long as i i'm happy with my sports lenses i can use those as portal lenses and uh, landscape lenses uh it's only, only a matter of stopping them down so yeah i i i, I get that and and uh and i and i i know that well certainly from a, a film photography perspective uh you know, you you you've got to use the lens that that belongs to that camera um right because you, you can't chop and change whereas um moving moving forward many many, many years um uh, about 2014 was when i got back into photography because i, I got married in 1990 and uh, and just got far too busy with work to actually um take photography seriously and I, I, I bought a digital bridge camera of um an olympus uh, i think it's a c8 8080 wide uh, which is you know decent decent camera and you take decent pictures um and I, all i ever used to do with it is just take take snaps but when i got back into uh, photography again and I, I went through a similar experience with uh, a modern camera and it was a uh, olympus em1 um, really nice camera um, in, in, in its in its time. It's a nice camera now. Uh, the way it feels and actually felt quite similar to a to a contact. So you know it, it's really solid and, uh, and it felt similar to it when when the with a, with a grip on it. But I, I, again, I got that feeling of um, of not being involved uh, be, largely because of the the uh, the autofocus. And uh, so I just I realised that I could actually use old lenses on it, and uh, and from that point onwards, I then started to become obsessed by the different looks of how old lenses, how how different lenses would actually work on this this digital camera. Whereas now I'm I'm getting far more interested in um, film photography, um, and it's I, I can see why the camera is 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 far more important. Um, simply because you know, if you're going to invest in the system, then you've 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 got to make sure that that camera is going to be able to do what you need it to. Whereas when you when you're adapting and, uh, and you're putting it onto a Fuji or onto a Sony or anything like that, it it, it almost doesn't matter. The the, the camera is just a tool um, for you to uh, be able to use the lenses. Right. Well, I, I sort of I see that point very well, and. Um... I was thinking about uh I, I had a chat with a with a friend of mine yesterday about this and uh about the uh, about the distance or distancing fr from the image uh when you're using a digital camera or for me that's with the digital camera I f I don't feel a part of the image I I just feel like this technology takes this image for me and uh, so that's sort of where my problems. That's why I went into film photography because I feel like that's what much more uh, where I can leave my footprint on on an image uh, instead of uh, having technology take the image for me, uh, and also because it was so tempting to use the technology 
to its maximum. So you maybe you bracketed seven shots and you did HDR in Photoshop and Lightroom and and uh, you did uh, a twelve row panorama with a eighty five millimeter lens, etc. Uh, etc. Et so the the possibilities are are endless, but also uh, the possibilities makes you sort of uh, or makes me uh, drop a part of myself uh, every time I take an image. So when I have a digital landscape, um, which is maybe one image selected in amongst 300 raw files, and I've spent eight hours or nine hours in Photoshop using plugins and layers and, and luminosity masks. And that's when, when I'm finished, I feel like this is a product of the technology of my time instead of a, pro a product of me, uh, despite the fact that I might have envisioned the end product when I took the shot. So I sort of see see where you're coming from. Yeah, and <clears throat> I, I I get what you're what you're saying there. Um, interesting enough, I'm. I mean, I I I enjoy uh, digital cameras. Um, and I quite enjoy the processing, although interestingly enough, I don't do a great deal in Photoshop. I've had to do the only thing I use Photoshop for is, um, say stitching, stacking and, uh, dust removal. Um, I don't actually use it for any, anything other than that, but the, this, this for me is the beauty of using old, old lenses is because you can actually get a different look. Um, by using a different lens and and for me that means that if I'm going to go out and I've, I'm planning what I'm, what I'm doing um, I'll think very carefully about what lenses I'm going to be taking with me uh, because I'll know the kind of look of the shot that I want to do and therefore I will take the lens with me that will give me that look which means that when I get around to processing Really, all I'm doing is just making sure that you know the exposure's right, the shadows and the highlights are or where they are or where they, where they need to be. So, it's it's going back to that old principle of when you're shooting on film about getting as much right in camera as possible, and that's I, I applied the same principle with digital, but I but I'm using a lens to actually give me a look rather than doing something in Photoshop to uh, to to manipulate the shot to make it look like as I want it to. Right. Well, I think that's a that's a very good way of thinking about it, and and as long as your end product is is from from within yourself, uh, or it's probably a little bit cliche, but uh, that's quite important to me. Is that if you sell an image or if you post an image online, uh, it it's not the it's not the Photoshop's fault if something is wrong and uh, it's, it's all down to you as a photographer or an artist, I should say. And that's, that's what I like about film photography and, and how I remember when, when I, I did a digital photography with, um, with, um, uh, yeah, with the, with all the lenses that I use for sports, they're very, very sharp. And I was hunting that sharpness uh i i saw hundreds of hours of youtube videos on how to sharpen and whenever photoshop made a, an update to some sort of sharpening uh software uh, i was all over that and tried to find the best uh, combination of uh, fringing and 
uh, everything and uh, yeah so um, that kind of I don't know took away everything from my photographs and and uh, uh, I well, the other day I was uh, scrolling through uh, a file a folder in on my computer with with some old film images and um, there was like 10 images and and I was just looking through them and seeing what it was and and at the last image there was a digital uh, capture uh, and I almost jumped in in my seat because it was so sharp <laughs> and uh, uh, it was way too sharp and I sort of wanted to just close the, the image down uh, immediately so it's funny how things change the hunt for sharpness is lo no longer a part of my life. <laughs> yeah, sh sharpness is a, is a is an interesting thing in itself. Um, we, we get lots of. I mean, we we've got a well, the podcast that I do uh, with Carl and Johnny uh, started life as a uh, a Facebook group, and uh, which is photography with classic lenses, and you know a, a few of us would be ob obsessed. Uh, by by these lenses and um, sharpness will be something that you know one day will be really really important and then another day it would um, it sharpness just doesn't matter at all and uh, and it, it's it's interesting when people will ask a question um, which is the sharpest f 1.2 lens or, or something like that and and the responses in the group are, are almost always the same uh, in this case of well what do you need sharpness with the 1.2 lens and uh, but the question will carry on being being asked and if a lens is particularly sharp then it's immediately viewed as being the best 1.2 lens because it's the sharpest um, and that's but ultimately that's just not, well in my view that's just that's that's not the case yes it um, it can be. Uh, one lens can be sharper than another. I mean, in my view, the uh, the the sharpest 50 millimeter uh, or standard lens, at least uh, 1.2 lens, is the Canon FD 50 millimeter 1.2 L lens. Um, the thing is, though, I've had one of these lenses and I've taken pictures of, uh, wide open. Which, at the end of the day, if you're going to have a 1.2 lens, you you want to use it wide open. I mean, what's the point if you don't? Uh, in my view, anyway. But the 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 downside with that lens is like what's going on in the outer focus areas is is just not particularly nice. It's not it's not particularly smooth. It can be smooth depending on the circumstances. But um, you go head to head with with other lenses with with a more conventional design. And um, and they just give a an over the overall look is better in my view than than it is with this um, this this the sharper lens. So you just go around in circles with with sharpness. Sometimes yeah, it's absolutely what you want. But there are other times where what you gain in sharpness you lose in something else. I agree, and I also think for for me uh, sharpness was a very important part of my digital uh, thinking, but it, it sort of disappeared when I started doing film and, and now I, I love the the pinhole photography the the Holgas the where where's maybe just the the inner most circle is in sharpness and everything else is unsharp and um, that's just that's perfect for me that's that's an an awesome image for me if if uh, if the sharpness is not what you notice when you when you see the image but then again uh, Whenever I do family portraits, um, I want uh, my kid uh, to be 
uh, so sharp that when I print the image, either in the darkroom or uh, on my inkjet printer, uh, it, it's sort of it's an it's a it's an image that everyone likes, everyone in in uh, in my family and etc. Not just me. So, and and faces is something that I I think you you ought to see a difference in sharpness uh, from eyes to to everything else that are in focus. Uh, um, I, I I like sharpness with faces, but of course not cr super crisp and and um, crazy overdone uh, sharpening in Photoshop. But a nice sharp cause-size lens for portrait. It's uh, on film is probably the perfect combination. Yeah, I, it, what's what's interesting for for me is with back in the day, um, you know, in the in the late eighties, uh, early nineties, I was obsessed by sharpness. Um, it was you know, when I was using my my Zeiss fifty one point four. It's it's maximum sharpness, I believe, is at or well, I'm pretty sure it's at uh, five point six. And so that that pretty much meant that I wanted to take every single shot at 5.6, irrespective <laughs> of whether that was the correct aperture to be taken. But just because I knew that my maximum sharpness was going to be available to me there. Um, whereas with going on to digital, um, certainly when I got back into uh, my photography again, it was everything was wide open uh, because it was all about you know the outer outer focus areas, the bokeh, should we say, yeah. and. Uh, and and like many people that get into get sucked into using old lenses, it's it's the bokeh that draws a huge number of people in, and I'm I'm absolutely no different. I was I really was uh, draw, drawn in that way. Uh, I mean, my, my photography has changed a little bit, largely because I've started to move more towards landscape now rather than. Uh, individual details or as uh, certainly was perhaps in the first year I, I i probably took about 800 photos of flowers in my in my garden you know <laughs> um just thinking oh look at the boker on that and look at the boker on this and look at the boker on that and uh yeah it's another flower shot and it's it's <laughs> funny you, you go you go back and look at those photos that you were so pleased with and he's looking at them now and thinking yeah so yeah <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't that good but that's but that's another thing that that's hitting me with film at the moment i mean i've, I've started shooting uh medium format and i've started shooting large format and at the moment any any photograph that looks okay to me i'm thinking wow that's great i'm i'm i'm, I'm, I'm absolutely delighted with it and i i know I know deep in, deep inside me that I'm going to look back at these photographs of you know, the, the, the start of my new journey into the larger formats, and I know that these, these shots are not that good. They're just good to me because it's, it's just some, something magical is, is, is going on that I'm seeing things differently. But if you actually you know, look at these things in isolation and, and, and uh, it, are they as good as I think they are? And the chances are they, they, they probably aren't. Well, I hope that for me, I hope I never lose that. I hope I never get satisfied with, or not satisfied. I can be satisfied, but, but you know, I I hope that if every five years, when I look back five years, I think I'm rubbish at photography because that probably is what the, drives me the most is that I I I find something new or I develop uh, a new interest in uh, in my life or I. I I get older and I I find new appreciations and and so my photography changes and 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 so my 
discovery of photography is constantly evolving and and that's uh that's what i i hope i can do for the for the rest of my life and i i suspect that once that goes away you you sort of lose the interest pretty fast but i don't know yeah well it's it's that cliche isn't it about photography being a journey um yeah. and it's 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 absolutely been a a, a journey for me and i i and I can actually see where it's taken me as well, because I think I started with the, and I'm now really talking about my recent stuff, not the stuff I was doing back in the 80s. Um, I started with things that were easy to take and easy to control the situation. Um, and I'm now venturing into things that have got more variability. But, and I think I'm ticking a lot of boxes off i've done this i can you know i can say you know what i can do macro photography now pretty well i can i can do bokeh photography whatever that is and you know i'm, I'm getting pretty decent at landscapes whether it be at sunrise sunset or in, in the middle of the day if the light's good enough and the the area of photography that i've actively avoided is people um and i feel that i'm sort of running out of other things to do before i'm gonna have to start <laughs> taking photos of people Interesting. Well, I, I sort of, uh, other than my family, I I sort of am the same way. I, although I I take photographs of people in my digital work all the time, but not the film work because uh, I I bumped in a few situations where sort of they they don't appreciate the film look as much as I do. <laughs> so, uh, if I if I do a, sh a portrait shoot and I do maybe one roll of film alongside the digital and uh and they only pick their digital images as as the the ones they want uh i sort of lose the uh interest of doing f f portrait photography on film for a little while and then i sort of think no i have to do it i have to push on through i have to be the the analog photographer no matter what uh in my area i can't be the 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 photographer who does both uh, analog and digital i think that would sort of put me in a weird spot so anyway um i just wanted to uh, f uh we, we i have a segment later on in the, in the show about film and about analog photography where uh, i think we'll just uh, skip a little bit uh, of that until later and um because I wanted to ask you a little bit about the podcast that you have and, of course, talk a little bit about lenses and, and what fascinates you about, about those. So I was wondering about the, your podcast and how it came to be. You, you were talking about uh, this Facebook group you, you uh, joined, um, but I was wondering how did that grew into the podcast? Um, well... The, there was a, a group um, started by Carl Havens and Derek Steed, uh, which uh, I guess grew out of the Olympus Worldwide Shooters Facebook group, which uh, I was a member, as was uh, Derek and uh, Carl. And I noticed uh, that Carl uh, and a few others as well uh, were posting uh, plenty of shots with adapted lenses, um, as was I. And that's... Uh, pretty much led to, uh, to to conversations, and uh, Carl uh, quickly invited me over to his uh, to his new group, and along with a, f a few other people. And uh, and I think probably for the first year, 
the vast majority of users in that group were, were shooting Olympus cameras. Um, right. And uh, it, it then continued to grow. Um, and then you see more more Fuji users, and then uh, and full and full frame Sony users, but the the group became in, increasingly popular. And uh, Carl invited myself and uh, a chap called Imon, and I can't pronounce his surname. Um, sorry, <laughs> Imon, uh, to uh, join them as uh, as administrators in the group. And uh, as it grew, and then the group continued to grow, and uh, we added more administrators, and what was was a lot what was happening in the admin group because we'd have a, a a specific admin group so the admins could chat to each other and talk about admin things um but it it became um a, a really interesting place to be and we would talk a lot about lenses and uh, and things that affect them and uh, and oh and Carl will be asking advice on which which lens to buy next and uh, which nothing changes on that one um and it, it it came to me i was thinking yeah some of the things that we talk about here um are just interesting and it's and it's not the kind of com- they weren't the kind of conversations you could really have in the in in the facebook group um and so and and it was quite free free form as well. So I thought to myself, well, you know, is there something else we could do here? And uh, and it 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 struck me that perhaps you know we could do a podcast because I used to listen to a podcast about Android Android uh, phones. So I, I went through a stage of being obsessed by you know, doing things with the software on the on Android phones and such. And I would listen to something called the Android Central podcast every week. And I used to really enjoy that. And I thought, well, I wonder if we can do something similar and just talk about lenses, uh, old lenses and putting them on uh, on camera. So and that's pretty much how the idea came along. And uh, and uh, Johnny Sisson uh, had, had been an admin for at least a year at that at that point, and uh, he was always always entertaining in the uh, <laughs> in the in the chats. So I was thinking he's probably entertaining out outside of the chats. And uh, and Carl's always a, a good laugh, and he's he's pretty much like the anchor of the group. And like I say, he st- he started it as well. And I thought, and um, so we 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 got chatting. I said, "Do you fancy doing a podcast?" And uh, and I said, "Yeah, <laughs> you know, just." let's let's give it a go and that's that's pretty much what happened back in right at the start of this year so that was in in january uh, this year and we've we've been doing one a week except for uh, there've been a couple of times where um, i've not been able to do it um and uh, yeah we've so we've been we've been doing it since and it's 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 been proven to be pretty popular certainly within within the group uh, itself right. so that was that was one of the things we had a a ready made uh, listener base uh, <laughs> right from the start which is something that uh, yeah we i think we've we're very very lucky to actually have that because um, i mean i'm i'm sure you've experienced this for yourself uh, if you're pretty much starting off from 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 nothing if you like uh, trying to build an audience is is going to be quite quite difficult yeah. um whereas uh, we we had an instant audience um, straight away and uh, they they liked what um, what they heard and we we we'd engage with them and say well how long do you want this podcast to be and uh, was, i think the initial idea was that the podcast would be about half an hour um, and then right. we realized well very very soon and very early in, uh, we were realizing well we comfortably talking to 50 minutes in an hour um and so we asked people so what, what is the ideal length and people are saying 
uh, various things, but uh, they were saying, yeah, what you're doing at the moment's okay, and uh, well, mm. frankly, just do what you like anyway. <laughs> just, just as long as it's interesting, we don't seem to care how long you do it for. Um, right. Which is, which is just as well because, uh, like many podcasts, um, and this one included, <laughs> this is, this is, I already know this is your longest podcast ever. Um, but, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, they, they, I think now we're probably averaging about an hour and a half to an hour and three quarters um, for for each podcast but i don't know how we actually keep on managed talking about stuff <laughs> but we but we do well well we 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 talked uh, around 33 minutes on the first question so i i kind of see where the difficulties of of keeping a podcast at 30 minutes is almost impossible uh, especially when you have uh more than one uh, person talking and uh you are talking about something that interests you. Um, then uh, when you talk, I will get new questions and mm-hmm. w- your answers will make me want to ask new questions and new questions. So, uh, but for, for me, what the, the perfect length of a podcast is basically as long as, um, as long as it can be, because I, I, uh, I usually listen to podcasts when I'm scanning or when I'm printing or when, I'm driving, and uh, especially the driving is just. Uh, I, I sometimes I have a, a like a four-hour drive one way, and then a four-hour drive back the same day, and uh, I sort of just download and save up. I, I don't listen to any podcast for a week and just save up every episode I can for that trip, uh, just to to make it be a little bit easier uh, of a, a drive. So. For me, uh, the most annoying thing is when I see uh, the negative positive podcast uh, releasing an episode of like 18 minutes. Uh, that's just super disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> so, but we'll 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 see how long this will be. But of course, my my solo shows, man, if they were an hour long or or longer, that then nobody would listen. So. Anyway, yeah. well, I was, was going to say that that was one of the things when I, I've I've actually only recently started listening to um, Negative Positives podcast uh, because I've been going through a, a mammoth session of listening to every single episode of the Sunday Sixteen podcast, which uh, thankfully I caught up about a month ago now, um, which is actually really weird. Uh, because I'm I'm finding myself with with spare with space to to listen to other things or to do other things and it's <laughs> it's, it's just it's it's just really really odd. But then um, actually it was M from Emulsive dropped me into the um, negative positives. Uh, film photography podcast group and that's actually ultimately how we uh, uh met up with each other um yeah. but uh, i mean listen this listening to um to to mike in his in his early episodes i was at first i was thinking what on earth is going going on here you know with this this depressing music in the in the background and um, and um and uh, i was thinking okay okay well he's done 100 180 episodes here so uh, there's, there's got to be something going here that was just and, the first uh, week so, yeah, <laughs> and uh, so uh, I, I, I carried on, and I, I sort of cherry picked a few episodes, and there was, um, and in some of his earlier ones, he was talking about how to um, do shows and uh, sell sell his prints and things like that, and that that just completely hooked me in uh, to his uh, to his his monologues, and I, I, I've I've got huge respect for the guy to actually be able to actually talk. For as long as he he does, and actually still keep it keep it 
lucid and and interesting so yeah. uh, fair, fair fair play to mark and i've uh, so i'm just catching up with uh, i'm not going to do all of them like i did with sunny 16 that was a nightmare <laughs> <laughs> an enjoyable one but yeah it was it was too much um but uh but no i'm, I'm listening to his uh, his new episodes now and uh, andre's joined him as well and uh, it's yeah i really really enjoy listening to those yeah i i, I really enjoy it too and I have a few podcasts that I that I regularly listen to, and I, I I'm already I, I'm available for more. I, I just don't know how to find them, and there's no you can't well you can sort of search for it, but I don't know. I I hope that the community will just bring them to, uh, to into the light for everyone to see if it's something to worth watch uh, listening to. So. Well, there is a there is a good place to find out, and uh, was, M did an article on the Mulsif, uh, probably about a month, six weeks ago. Um, so he's he's collated uh, what he could find at the time of uh, the, the film photography podcasts out there, the the various different ones. So that's a right. that's a good place to start. And actually, he's put them into categories of um, you know analog podcasts, and then the um, another another category was created. Uh, partially out of reaction to uh, to our podcast being included, because uh, quite rightly, uh, um, somebody actually was uh, a guy called James Giordano uh, uh, from from our group, who's also been on the show as well twice. Um, he uh, he he coined the term "ambiguously analog" uh, to <laughs> to describe the Classic Lenses podcast, and that and I, I, that pretty much works because uh, yeah, we do talk a lot about analog, but we we go into digital as well. It's a case of ultimately that. It's using old lenses on digital cameras is is how the group began, and that's where its roots are, and uh, and that's right. that's really, yeah, the roots of the podcast. But you know, it, it's certainly in 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 recent times, larger because the three of us, uh, Carl, Johnny, and myself, we increasingly well I'll say Johnny. Johnny is a, is absolutely an analog shooter, um, and I'm just I've fallen for it again. And uh, and Carl does a lot of uh, analog shooting as well. So therefore, it's just natural that the the, the three of us are talking about our experiences. And uh, at the moment, there's a lot of analog talk going on. Yeah, and and of course th- those were the episodes that made me uh, listen to your podcast uh, because I I honestly I don't think. Uh, if your show was digital uh, uh, classic lenses on digital cameras the both those things are uh, are not things that I've uh, been particularly interested in in my in my life since I I, I shoot Nikon so there's no adapting mm-hmm. and <laughs> and uh, I've skipped the digital altogether so uh, but uh, I found the 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 analog uh, episodes were kind of an entry, and now I I listen to all your episodes, uh, no matter what they're about, because now the three of you are the entertainment, and not necessarily the topic or or the um, yeah. So so that's why the it's so fascinating to when you when you get to know a podcast and you know what to expect and you get to know. In, in the quotation marks, the the people, uh, the it just takes it a, up up a notch, and and I, I really like that. It's it's certainly the case that the the, the podcast has evolved. Um, in the very early days, we were semi encyclopedic. 
about about things. Um, and if anybody does go back and to to listen to any of them, uh, I apologise for episode one and the <laughs> audio recording quality. It's appalling. Plus, also, it was a case of uh, every time I was on on the the mic, I think I was I spoke as fast as I could so I could just get off the mic and give get, let some get somebody else to talk instead of me. Uh, was, that's that's one of the strange things about all this. I'm a very shy person, and, and it's that was actually one of the reasons why I did it. Because I think I really need to put myself out there a little bit more and actually force myself to do something. So that was uh, is it's a, a project in itself. But um, but certainly in the the early days, it was very technical. We would we would talk specifically about say helios lenses or um, or certain uh, pentax lenses and so on and later later on and it and uh, it, it it changed initially when we uh, we had james giordano on uh, which became far more of a an interview about his world if you like and it was less it was less technical and i think as as time has gone on uh, we have become less technical yes there's a huge amount of nerd and geek stuff uh, in there but the certainly the the shows now we we've got a bit of an idea what we're going to talk about but that's that's usually as much of it is there's, there's not as much planning that goes into the episodes now and it's just us chatting and uh, generally winding each other up <laughs> well that's uh, that's the uh, uh, that's a wonderful thing in my, in my view and and I, f- I sort of feel the same way as you you did I'm, I'm not I'm, I'm probably a shy person I, I'm, I'm not sure I'm definitely borderline shy and I did the a, a YouTube channel where I posted a few episodes uh, mainly to to challenge myself and to sort of stick it to the world that I'm not going to uh, this is my passion I'm going to spread the love I don't care and uh, I did that for a while and and um, I sort of thought the same thing about the podcast because I I know that my first few episodes uh, sucks and I know that especially with this not being my my native language I really struggle with words sometimes uh, to find the correct word that I'm going to speak so suddenly my brain just stops freezes up and I (laughs) have to wait for the word Uh, but I know that when this is episode seven and when I'm up to episode 70 I'm probably up there with the the guttermans of the podcasting worlds where everything just flows out of my mouth and and I don't say anything wrong and Every technical information is just spot on. Uh, that that's my goal. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, it's that's 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 one of the things that happens. So you'll be you'll be you you're, you're talking and uh, you 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 know exactly what you're talking about, and then you'll say something, and then you'll think, "What have I just said?" <laughs> yeah, that was complete nonsense. I, and I mean, it had, something similar happened this this week with uh, Johnny. Um, because he's he he keeps he kept on talking about this uh, this biotar lens this twenty I think it was yeah a thirty five millimeter biotar um, and it wasn't it's a it's a biogon you know it's a, you know and you know Johnny knows the difference mm. between a biogon and a biotar <laughs> you know and and you could just tell that there are people listening thinking what's he talking about he's he's got it wrong he's got it wrong and you can just feel people getting het up about <laughs> it. Yeah, but, but yeah, I, I I do exactly the same thing, and it's it's really irritating at times when you you come out with nonsense. I, I think the same thing happened to Johnny when he uh, when he uh, talked about the the one memory card slot thing. 
I think that uh, that also, <laughs> at least for me, I was driving when I listened to that. And being a sports photographer and a, a high school portrait photographer, I was screaming in the car. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Well, but yeah, that well, that that's see, that's that's the thing. I mean, I, Carl and I didn't give um, uh, Johnny a hard time on that, largely because we actually agreed with him. Yeah. Um, and um, and 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 this is one of those things you have to you have to realize there there are other strong opinions in this world that don't <laughs> that are not necessarily the, the same as your own and they're every bit as valid and yeah and and that was that was certainly one of them just just because having a single card slot is not a problem for the three of us and therefore you know it, it doesn't it doesn't work out that therefore it's not a problem for everybody or maybe just a small number of people well actually yeah it, it clearly was and the, yeah, that was that was something we had lots of feedback yeah, um, on, on, on that subject as you might imagine yeah I, i've been i've thought about that a few times after the effect uh, when i uh, i've been on jobs where i i, I photographed a school where we did four days um and uh, i don't know how many shots but probably we do we do f between four and seven shots per student and uh you can imagine the the um the uh catastrophic failure uh, of one memory card uh, at the end of the 32 gigabytes of both raw and jpeg files that we need to in order to create uh, the catalog for the school etc uh, etc et and and uh, I, I, it's just uh, there's no way we could do that without uh, two two memory card slots um, just to be safe. And I I can I can agree on one thing. I've never ever had any failure of any card. Uh, I think at the time, but I've had failure of a memory card like a week later. So yeah, when. I go back and and try to re-import my images a week later. Uh, there's something wrong with the with the with the card. And uh, when you if you do a school with with two thousand kids and and um, and you're relying on maybe you have a backup on one of the laptops and and you've done backs backups to to other hard drives and and etc. But it's just amazing how sometimes if you do a whole season of 20 30 40 schools there's always this one case where we don't find the images on the backup drive and and uh, the memory cards were swapped from this camera to that camera on the next school and and we did three schools in a row so we didn't have time to to uh, sort of uh, put the images up on dropbox before we had the next school so the images are mixed and you know so it's just a nightmare if something happens and and um uh Two memory card slot is just uh, uh, an added bonus of security, basically. So, I think I think Johnny's viewpoint is that <laughs> any, any any camera that requires a card slot isn't a real camera. <laughs> it's probably <laughs> simple that. as that. It's probably that. Uh, I've listened to a lot of your shows, and uh, I don't know any of the words that you're talking about. Uh, I still don't know. After all these years of being a photographer, I don't know the difference between a distagon and a hectoflorin, or or, or <laughs> what, what, what is what's the names? And and um, and I'm I'm as you were talking about these different types of names, I was thinking: is that a 
Is is uh, Distagon? Is that a a name for a specific setup of glass lenses in a particular order? So that, for instance, Yashica can make a Distagon and Carl Zeiss can make a Distagon, or or is it a a brand name for Carl Zeiss to separate it from other lenses? Can you just talk to me like I'm a five year old and just explain <laughs> the different names of the different lenses you're in your world? Yeah, sure. Well, well uh, yeah, most most lenses that actually have names tend to be German. Um, the Japanese and the, 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 the Soviets uh, use numbers, um, yeah, just literally just to describe what they are. It's pretty rare for them to actually give a lens a name. So that's uh, largely a German thing. Um, most... Uh, the, the the classic lenses at least um the the, the basic designs origin originated in in germany um and probably the majority of those um i see i imagine some people shouting at me now saying that you know there were plenty <laughs> of lenses that were designed in in britain and uh, all all over the place but uh, um but generally as they say in, in general terms um germany was the the originator of most of the um, standard designs, um, and when we're talking about designs, we're, we're talk, usually talking about how many elements, and an element is a piece of glass that in in a lens. So, how many elements does a does a lens have, um, and how are they grouped, um, and uh, and that that's the the way they would actually design a lens. Uh, they would then give it a name, and that name would 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 stick, and. The, the names that you you would hear uh, a lot are sonar, uh, planar. Um, you've you've mentioned uh, distagon. They they're all Zeiss Zeiss names, and uh, and they would refer to specific setups of how many elements are, are going to be within that that design. And this is actually something Johnny's. Better at than I am. Um, oh, and Tessars. I've, uh, I, uh, I like to forget Tessars, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, but I can't really. I can't. I can't not talk about Tessars, can I? Okay, so so it's a it's a name for a specific setup, but you can have an eighty-five distagon and you can have a thirty-five distagon. Uh, not quite. No, um, distagons are uh, lenses they they're wide angle lenses all all distagons are wide angle so well i say you can't have an 85 distagon i'm i'm not aware of an 85 distagon because obviously the larger the 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 format that you're using then the uh then the higher the number gets uh, before you actually start to actually become a standard lens so uh, such as like on you know, I've got a four by five camera with a with a hundred and thirty five millimeter lens, but it's actually a, a semi wide. It's probably equivalent of like around about forty two millimeters in uh, thirty five mil terms. So even though it's a it's a you know one hundred and thirty five millimeter, it's not a telephoto lens. So if we stick with uh, so so in other words, actually, if if Zeiss and I don't know if they do, if they make a large format lens, then you could have an eighty millimeter wide angle lens, and that will be a wide angle design. But in in terms of if we stick with thirty five millimeter um, sizes, then I think the widest distagon is a thirty five uh, millimeter lens. But it's just generally the term they give to a to a wide angle lens. Um, so yeah, you you don't get longer than that. I mean, on okay. Hasselblad, they do a fifty millimeter distagon, which is on medium format. That is a wide angle lens. Yeah, but that was my next question. So if you have a a fifty millimeter distagon, do you know 
immediately that it can only be Hasselblad and medium format? Or do, did they make a 50 millimeter Distagon for uh, other mounts and for 35 or, or do, do, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, yes, that, that, yeah, if somebody said a 50 millimeter Distagon, then I know that that's going to be for a larger format than 35 millimeter. Okay. So there's only um, one lens in the world that's called a 50 millimeter Distagon. Yes. Okay. Well, yes and no, um, because you've, you've got the, um, because they also had their, uh, contact contacts when it was part of, um, when they were their involvement with uh, Kyocera, I think it's Kyocera, I'm not too sure if that's the correct pronunciation, but when in, in Japan who were behind making the Yoshika and Contax cameras um, back back in the day, um, they also made a medium format camera. Uh, they did a 645 and they may have actually done something bigger. I'm a little bit, I'm, I know far more about 35 millimeter than I do about the uh, the medium format and, the, and large format. So uh, there would be, I'm pretty sure there would have been a Distagon for uh, for for the contacts medium format system as well, but I I'm pretty sure they only made them for their own system and for Hasselblad. Okay, so I I, yeah, I st I'm starting to see a little bit more the picture of of those names. Uh, maybe I can keep up when you're talking about it on on the podcast. Uh, well, not... well, okay. Well, just just to just to further that little that little thought, um, you've got uh, Tessar lenses which are I think they're four four element lenses. Uh, in, uh, yeah, they're generally four element lenses. Um, I don't think Zeiss did a triplet. And when you hear about triplets, oh, actually they did. They did the triatar. Um, but yeah, that gives you. That's one of the easier ones to actually work out what it means. Because if something starts off with TRI, um, it means three elements. So uh, you've got the triatar by Zeiss, and you've got like triaplan or trioplan uh, by Mayer Optic, um, and there's a few other lenses out there that are, are, are triplets. Mm -hmm. uh, Tessars are usually four element lenses, and, and Tessars are usually very well corrected, uh, sharp lenses, and optically fast. Um, but they 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 they're sharp and well corrected, and that's uh, that's pretty much why most lens designs are Tessars in, in general. I mean, in, in lots of other uses, and, and I think in mobile phones, a lot of them are Tessar designs because they just they just work. But for me, they're just boring because they just work. Um, and I want something that gives me something other than that, um, such as f a faster lens. And that's where planars uh, would come in and sonars was, uh, they're both generally speaking faster, uh, or ca are capable of being faster designs than, than, than Tessars. Sonars are not as corrected as a, um, as a planar design. So sonars for me, that, that's really where, where these things start to get interesting because they, they, they aren't as well corrected and therefore that means they have flaws and flaws equals character. Right. So, uh, and that, and you can get a certain sonar look uh, with a, with a lot of lenses. And then you've got the planar, which is a, I think that's a five element lens, which is very well corrected. It can be sharp and it can, it, well, it is usually sharp and it's, um, and it can be very fast as well. Right. So when, when you're, when you're talking about these lenses, I, I can't um, stop thinking about, this is probably the same way I feel about film. So, so you can have a T grain, super sharp, modern uh, film with no flaws and you can have an old um, expired or an old emulsion from, from Foma pen or whatever that, is full flaws and and uh, 
I sort of am in, the, in the same category as you are that the the flawed and the the um, the uh, more classic uh, films are are way more interesting to me. Um, I don't know if we're going into that just now, but that's I, if, if am I correct in thinking that this this the differences between a film and an, and another film can be the same as a, the differences between the two two of the lenses yeah. uh, that you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely, and, and and just in the same way as the way that you you the the chemicals that you're going to use to process those films and uh, and the way you choose to print those films as well. Right. So so, so the so, only way yeah. you can have that uh, with the digital setup is because of everything else is is quote unquote perfect with digital. So the only way to get a flaw is use a lens with a flaw. So yeah, or you or or spend hours in Photoshop making the plot <laughs> yeah yeah spend a lot of time ruining your photo yeah that's a good point all right we'll take a short little break and then we'll uh, come back and talk more analog Yes, so we're back, and uh, now we are going to talk a little bit about the film and analog photography. And um, you told us how long you've been shooting film, but I'm curious to as to what uh, after shooting uh, digital and after shooting classic lenses, what made you want to try uh, film? Uh, I, I'm guessing it's pretty recent. Yeah, it, it it is. I, I mean, when I, when I got back into photography in 2014, I still had my old uh, contacts camera, um, and uh, and that and my favourite 50 millimeter lens. I also had a 60 to 300 Tamron lens, uh, which I had for a very long time, um, but I had no no great desire to use it, and uh, hence why I, I, I sold it, um, and I, I think. I think what, what, what started it was I was buying more lenses and I was selling more lenses and ultimately that actually became what I do for, for my day job. But I've always I've always liked things and uh, and cameras um, are very interesting things. And uh, and I think it was getting to the point where I was thinking, you know, perhaps I could actually shoot one of these things. And uh, but that lay that stayed dormant uh, for quite some time, and I think, and I think it's it's only really this year. I mean, I think I did take a couple of shots last year, but it was it was neither here nor there. Um, but uh, this this year, shortly after deciding that I was going to do do my podcast, I thought, well, are there other podcasts out there on similar kinds of subjects and things? So it's effectively doing a bit of due diligence, really, because you know, what if there's another podcast talking about exactly the same thing as I want to do, um, right. and there isn't. So, uh, <laughs> so that 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 was that was good. Um, but in in looking at other things that were out there, uh, I came across the Sunday Sixteen podcast, and I thought, well, this sounds interesting, and 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 I was I was listening to it and. Uh, I started listening to it, and I was I was starting to pick up a few little useful little tips about old cameras, 
and uh, and that they they didn't really major on any uh, that that kind of stuff. Uh, they would just be talking about some of their experiences, why how something went wrong, and uh, how they fixed it or or didn't, and so on. But I, I stuck with it, and the the, the podcast was was obviously a much wider. Um, subject matter about analog photography as, as a whole, and I just enjoyed listening to uh, initially um, Graham and A just just talking about this stuff, and uh, and later uh, Rach joined them as well, and it's one of those things. I think I just got sucked in um, because the, the 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 passion that uh, not just the the, the host but the guests that they, they they would have, and then and also. The, the the messages the the emails that would that get written into them it was quite it's quite infectious and and I was and I was, you know, I was just hearing more and more about this and I was just enjoying listening to about the analog side of things and it was got to the point where I was thinking I really should do something <laughs> there's no there's no reason why I why I I, I don't do this and and actually the, it, it sort of coincided with a um, quite a large uh, collection that I bought um, for bought for selling on. And it actually came with probably around about 50 rolls of expired film that was not too expired and had been looked after. I was thinking, well, there you go. Well, there's no real reason for me not to actually go out and take photographs with film now because I've, I've got it there. All I need to do is find somebody to develop it for me. Um, and so so I, I think I started with an OM-1 and, and I put the film in it. And I think it, it then stayed on the shelf for about six months before I even pressed the button because I was almost like scared to use it. Um, it was it's really really weird, and it was just this thing about. I think I was reverting back to the old days where you you would only take a photograph if if it was worth pressing the shutter, and I, and I, you know and that's largely still the same, and that's used to be my attitude with digital was when I first started shooting digital, I, I you know, I, I know I could take several hundred shots, but I, but I wouldn't. Um, and I had to get over that, but sometimes it is actually worth taking those, those, those few more shots. But the, the similar kind of thing happened with, with that, that roll of film. I was just scared to actually press the shutter. Um, and then eventually I did. And then once I did, I got it out of the way and, uh, and I quite liked the results that, uh, that came from it. And then from that, it was a case of, well, I've got this camera here that, you know, is it going to work? And so it's a good idea to actually run a roll of film through it to test it to see if it's if it's if it's any good. Um, so so I started to do that, and I was doing that with uh, compact cameras and SLRs and and things like that. And I was pretty much just just taking snaps. I wasn't really trying trying that hard. Um, but something happened, and again, I think it was like listening to some of the guests on the on Sunday Sixteen, especially perhaps some of the more artistic guests. They were doing various projects and things and, and some of the really interesting things that they were actually doing on film. And I was thinking, you know, there's just so much more to this that, um, you know, I should I should really just get myself more involved in it. And uh, that's pretty much what I did. So I just started taking more photos on film and um, I then picked up a Hasselblad in, a, in an auction, uh, which in theory I bought to sell, but. I just wanted it. <laughs> it's just, yeah. So I've, I managed to, I managed not to sell the Hasselblad, and I, and and again, I had a similar experience with with this roll of film and the Hasselblad that it, it stayed in there for a very long time before I dared press the shutter because it's a Hasselblad. You know, you can't you can't just waste film with a Hasselblad. Um, and in the end, I, I that's exactly what I did. I just fired a roll off and, and just took everything and ev- anything that, that I did at the time, um, which I've only actually just just looked at. 
so I lost it. I developed it and lost lost it. And uh, I'm glad I didn't bother developing it now because it was awful. Um, but but um, it's only really a few weeks ago I took took the Hasselblad out with some slide film uh, on a really nice day and did and took some nice landscape shots, uh, a place not too far away from me, and um, and I've got them back. And I was I was knocked out by them. They were they were absolutely beautiful. Um, I mean, I'm not saying that they're the best photographs in the world. I'm just I'm talking more about just the look of these medium format slides. Um, and I think from that point, I was thinking there's something to this, and I think I need to do more of it. And uh, and that's pretty much what I, what I, what I've been doing, whether it be on the uh, point and shoots, uh, doing a, trying trying to do some. Um, subversive uh, shooting from the thigh <laughs> um, shots in the street um, and then uh, a few weeks ago I picked up a, uh, a large format camera uh, that was advertised locally and it was uh, some wooden thing and it was a I didn't know it at the time uh, but it was a half plate camera and uh, and I, I got it set up and I, and I looked through the uh, the, the uh, well looked at the ground glass finder on it and I just fell in love um, I, I then uh, quickly realised that half frame, half plate film is not readily available. Uh, <laughs> and uh, but it's so I funny even... that you you say that because I, I I had the exact same experience not not the exact same but in the beginning I didn't know I didn't know what they were talking about this one twenty film I I had no idea I didn't even know I of course I sort of knew but I didn't even know of any other film than thirty five. I, I've never thought about it. So even though I was a professional photographer, I didn't know what medium format film was. I didn't know anything about the analog world. And uh, and uh, so my first purchases were just... I didn't think about checking if that was the thing or if, if it was light tight. Or I just thought camera is a camera. And so I, I totally just recognized the, the, the feeling of just looking at that locally and just popping it yeah well uh, yeah I, 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 to, I totally totally can can relate to that um but this 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 camera i realized it was probably going to be a little bit a step too far for me and uh um actually i i, I, I sent an email off to the uh, to the Sunday 16 podcast and they they came back to me uh, pretty much saying uh, it's too much for you Simon <laughs> just um, you know so go 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 with something a little bit more sensible and uh, and it just just so happened that um, in, in part of my business I was at a at a, a specific camera auction and uh, there were a lot of large format cameras for sale and I managed to sneak in and uh, pick one of them up myself at a good price um, a, a meridian camera which is a four by four four by five um, it, it, it's difficult to say whether it's a press camera or a technical camera um, I think it's probably it's more of a technical camera really but although it was marketed more as a press camera um, from about 1950 and I just fell in love with the thing it just looks amazing and I, I keep on putting pictures up on my instagram feed of uh, of, of the camera and it, <laughs> you know i get more likes of the camera than i do the pictures that i post with it you know so um, i think that's 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 quite normal i suppose but yeah this it's just a just a, a wonderful thing and i've um i've like yourself i've um i use Fomapan um largely because it's just cheap um yeah. and and it's a compromised film but when you're using it on four four by five, it doesn't matter about about 
the compromises within the film because you, you're not stretching the, the negative anywhere near as much. In fact, when I digitise, I'm, I'm taking four shots of it with a, with a full-frame camera. And I know that there's a lot more detail that I'm leaving behind. So, uh, mm-hmm. so yeah, big, big, big fan of Fomapan, and I'm I'm becoming a, a huge fan of uh, large, large format. You know, I, I love the fact that it can take me ten minutes to take a photograph. It sounds stupid, but I and the, and even then I realised I did it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I heard about you where you talked about uh, uh, one shot, and you you afterwards you 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 heard someone mention that. Uh, they used a loop, and that to me was like, oh man, he didn't use a loop. <laughs> no. <laughs> so I, it's just we don't, we don't. When we learn all these things, we don't think about uh, the people who are just starting out with a new technology or a new old technology to, to to mention these things or to talk about these things. And I, I, I have a friend who is dabbling in in film photography, and I, I don't know what to. I, I don't. I don't remember how it was not knowing anything about that. So, the the dark cloth. I didn't know if you could. Uh, if how important was that? And and do you need to buy a specific dark cloth? Does <laughs> it have to be light tight? Do you have to go to 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 Walmart and get a, a a curtain to cut up and sew yourself? Or, and then I saw a video of a guy just using a, a an inverted T-shirt, a black T-shirt, where he just popped the the collar around his his neck and it just stretched it over and I just thought oh okay that's a way better idea than having this heavy cloth thing that I used oh man that was just a a nightmare and so just those tiny little hints and tricks and 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 loops if you want to talk loops um I I asked um do you know the Nikos photography show on YouTube no, no. Uh, okay so he's a he's a large format photographer or an any format photographer and uh, i when i started out with large format i wrote a lot of questions to him because he has a uh, every wednesday he has an hour uh, live broadcast on youtube where he just answers questions and uh, and i also noticed that he didn't get a lot of questions so i just thought i would help him out and uh, at the same time ask anything i could think about with large format and dark room and anything. And this, I asked him one time about a loop because I only had like this cheap uh, from like a children's toy set. Uh, and um, and I think he spoke about 10 minutes about loops and, and brands and and the Why? and the uh, magnifications. And and uh, if you have too much mag- magif- magnification, that can hurt your focusing and and I was just blown away that this tiny, tiny, tiny element of, of uh, photographing with large format can be a 10-minute conversation. <laughs> so the, this world uh, of analog is just, it's just huge. And, and uh, I, I keep learning stuff every time I listen to Sunny 16 or FPP when they talk about 126 film and 127 film. And I've never even heard about those things. And uh, I'm just glad that we only have three or four formats as of now, and the IPS revolution has not kicked in yet. So, well, most 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 roll film cameras, though, ultimately work largely similarly. There can be there can be some uh, 
um, quirks to, to, to certain cameras that uh, you need to o- overcome um, because they can defeat you quite quite easily. Um, large large formats. I just feel like I'm I'm an utter and complete beginner. Uh, you know, you've got you know swing and tilt and rise and fall and yeah. when to use it and when not to use it. I mean that that was something I I, I joined the large format photography group on, on Facebook and uh, I posted my first picture which was a you know a decent shot and this was we talked talked about it on the uh, on our podcast the, the, the other week and I was criticized for for the way that I actually took the shot um, but I I I as in the in feedback that came came after, after the show and um, and I, but I put I put the the shot up in 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 the group and I and I put on there you know, when I used front tilt as if like I was some kind of hero, <laughs> and, uh, and and it's I subsequently realised like there's all you know anybody who does landscapes with large format they're virtually using some form of tilt somewhere in the shot almost all the time yeah so yeah, uh, yeah is that it is that beginner's um, that beginner's thing but yeah I'm I'm loving it I'm loving being a complete beginner again because that's how I feel um, and it's just great to pick up more 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 information yeah i i know what you i know what you mean and i i started out with i bought this uh, i knew i knew a lot about large format cameras but i didn't own one myself and i bought this on a whim i bought this thousand uh, dollar uh shenhao complete setup with everything from bag to to uh film holders uh, and three boxes of film everything i needed i i just uh, I bought it because I knew that the price was right, and if I didn't like it, I could sell it and earn a, a few hundred dollars. And and um, but that was just too much of a camera for me. Everything was uh, in just beautiful wood and and stainless steel or whatever it was, and and everything was just perfectly aligned all the time. And uh, I didn't need that. I don't. I don't think there would be many years until I need a camera of that caliber uh so i i sold that i made two or three hundred dollars and and then i um bought a cheap monorail from the states uh or it, it was a uh, camu oh, what's it called camu camulet cam yeah anyway it was a, a metal uh, monorail so it's super heavy and it's you can't fold it anything it's just a 40 centimeters long a tube with a camera attached to the top um, whenever you take it out of the car you have to carry it on the tripod or in your hand you can uh, there's no backpack in the world that would fit or probably is but uh, and that made me sort of see that uh, it's just a box uh, um, it's just a light tight box where you keep your lens and 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 a film holder so I got the exact same images from a $100, $150 camera that I got from a $1,000 camera. And that just opened my world into... to I, I used a lot of Fuji iCross. And, and when I found the Fomopan uh, webpage where the price was, uh, I think, under half price. Um, uh, and I could sort of make my mistakes with Fomopan. Not that Fomopan is not a great film. It's just... I can make my mistake my mistakes a little bit cheaper, yeah. and um, I, I know I had no idea how to develop. I, I I was thinking about doing trade development, and that would be a nightmare uh, uh, to to trade develop all those sheets of film. And uh, 
So I'm just super happy that I found a, a, a sort of a, a, a way to deal with all the problems that large format brings and then at the same time just embrace the the uh, the slowness and the thoughtfulness and uh, like I have six film holders and that's probably a little bit too many because I can load six which means I have 12 images if I want to when I go out and that's probably too too many because I don't shoot 12 when I'm out with my large format and so anyway um, um, I wanted to ask you if you see any difference between your digital images and your film images and I'm I'm not talking technical differences but do you do you see any difference in the way you photograph things yeah I think I think so I mean I mean I will say from the from the technical point of view I, I think I'm I'm far more accomplished taking a picture with a with a digital camera than I am with any any film camera um or rather I can I, I know what I'm going to get before I press the button with it with with digital whereas it I'm, I still feel like I'm I've got a lot to learn with film um but the the other side of it, and this is where I'm experiencing it, and I think I touched upon this earlier. Uh, the the view, in the same way as when you look through a medium format for the first time, compared to um, say an SLR or a full frame camera, there's there is a difference uh, that you see with uh, the way that people can stand out and the and the background falls away, and the same applies with uh, with with large format. And I was I was out yesterday uh, with with the camera with the uh, the Meridian. And I was I was with, I was with somebody who's who's not a uh, an analog photographer at all, and uh, and he's, he just humours me and say, okay, yeah, whatever you want, Simon. <laughs> you know, you, if you want to if you want to take this long, I haven't got a problem. But uh, um, and I and I I, did, I I set the shot up and I, I was quite careful with uh, with the rise and the fall and uh, you know just trying to get uh, get the shot composed correctly and uh, i looked at it and i thought that looks amazing and he goes what do you think of this and uh, and he, he looks at it and goes well it's it's nice but is it that interesting <laughs> and uh, i'm thinking and and this is a thing i'm thinking well yeah but look at the camera i'm using <laughs> you know, and, and look at it just looks so great doesn't it but it, you, you can get sucked into this and i'm thinking sure. well yeah just be it looks great to me because it looks so different and i appreciate that difference but is it a good photograph should i actually be taking the shot in the end i did but so i think well let's let's just see what it turns out like it, it may actually be a lot better than uh, than we thought but I, I do find myself pointing the camera at more things and being more impressed at what I'm looking at than I do when I do it with a, a digital camera. But I haven't worked out yet whether that's just my my newfound enthusiasm for the format or whether or not I'm actually truly seeing things differently now and actually able to exploit scenes in the way that I haven't been able to do before. So I, I don't know where I am with that. Right. Well, I, I kind of relate to that because I, I, I do the same thing as I, I, I imagine when I'm out shooting that that since I'm doing large format, every shot is going to be, uh, if not, if I don't make any mistakes, this shot will be printed, it will be uh, scanned, it will be uh, a perfect shot. And uh, still, uh, when I shoot six or seven images, I rarely do anything with uh, maybe more than one. So the keeper's rate is still not that high, even though I'm doing large format, but um i guess that comes with experience 
Well, the odd, the odd thing for me is I'm, I find I'm actually taking more shots with large format than I would do if I went out with a with a with an SLR or, or Hasselblad. That's impossible. <laughs> it, it's yeah, I, I think it just shows where I am in, in my enthusiasm level there for, uh, for for large format. I just want to take everything. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just bought um, an Intrepid Mark III, and I, I'm getting it this week. And uh, I don't know. Do you know what kind of back you have on your Meridian camera? Um, you have to ask ask me a, a more specific question. <laughs> do, is it a, a? Do you know if it's a spring back or if it's a is a graph lock? Is it? It's it's spring. It's yeah. It's it's a spring back, and it won't. Uh, it's not compatible with uh, with a, with with the graph lock. You can mod. You can modify it, I believe. But it's uh, it's. I, I don't really want to, want to do that. I'm quite happy to uh, um, just do it the way I'm doing it with the old school. Really, I guess. Yeah. Well, that that was. Uh, I used to own uh, the uh, the Shenhao six by seventeen backs for for the large format. And uh, that's the only thing I've ever really regret uh, selling. Uh, but again, 6x17 is pretty long. So I bought this uh, um, adapter for 6x12 for the large format. And so I'm going to, when I get the Intrepid, the 6x12 and the and the 4x5 will be my two main um, shooting styles for at least uh, a few months uh, where i'll just leave my medium format in 35 at home whenever i'm shooting and i also bought uh, the Harman titan 4x5 pinhole camera uh, from from walker photographics i think in the in the uk so i'm i'll be doing a lot of foma pan uh, uh, pinhole and and uh, and 4x5 and then uh, foma pan 6x12 in the, in the weeks to come. So how, how do you develop your former pan? I, I saw you had a, a post about it on, on a Facebook group and I thought I'll, I'll ask you and you can talk about it here if you like. And yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, I've, I've, I've put some posts up on the negative positives, uh, uh, group and, uh, yeah, I've, I've been having, um, mixed, experiences uh but the only the only way i actually know how to process anything is stand processing or semi-stand in rodinal um so that that's just how, how i've been doing things um right but i've got a combi plan uh tank um which for for four by five is one of the things I, I actually i picked it up at the same time as i bought the hasselblad it was i bought a load of gear and there's quite a bit of darkroom gear when i thought to myself well i should sell it but you never know it might come in handy <laughs> and uh, as uh, as many things do and many things don't well in this case it did um and it and it takes six uh six uh, sheets um but the the downside with it is whether if you're doing six or you're doing one You've got to use um, well. It, it recommends at least uh, that you're using 1200 mil um, of of a solution. Right. And uh, and what I was I was finding if I was putting in one sheet, it was the first one I did. I just decided to develop one sheet because I didn't want to wreck all of them if I if I made a mess of things. And I absolutely did make a mess of things with my first <laughs> first one because I I hadn't quite worked out the areas that were completely light tight and which ones weren't light tight. And uh, so right. I was, I, it was really bad. Um, but uh, but I, I found that if I did a single sheet in this 1200 mil mix of uh, Rodinol. Um, it's the it, the image was uh, the negative was overdeveloped, uh, at least I think it was overdeveloped. Um, whereas it turns out when I actually put four sheets in, it was 
it was it developed better um and i've got this theory saying that that's the the other one kept developing because effectively there was too much developer in there yes the the dilution was 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 correct but I th I'm, I'm thinking that the actual uh, developer requires uh, an element of exhaustion in the in the whole solution, uh, perhaps. And uh, having just one negative in there meant that there was still lots of uh, active rhodonol in there, and that therefore continued to uh, develop the negative. That's that's my theory because when I did it with four sheets, doing exactly the same method. Uh, the developing was much better. Um, so from now onwards, when I'm going to use it again, I'm just going to be doing six sheets. Um, and I'm thinking that, in theory, that should give me the uh, uh, the best work. But 1,200 mil of fluid is uh, a little bit a little bit much, especially on with that these old tanks where it's actually quite difficult to get the uh, the, the 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 fluids out of it particularly quickly. It can take about 30 seconds to actually get rid of the uh, the liquid out of the tank. Right. Well. Uh, I I only know the the Stearman Press uh, SP four five five, and uh, I absolutely love that one. Uh, and it uses five hundred mils for four sheets. And uh, but the the thing that I when I stand develop my four by five, I even though I the tank is is five hundred mils, uh, five milliliters of developer is um, is what I I have the opposite problem. I have under development because I have, I can't mix up 500 mils of, of, uh, rhodonol, um, one plus 100 because, uh, it needs a little bit more developer. So I, yeah. so I mix up a liter if I, even if I, even if I just use 500 mils, but so my suggestion to you, if you struggle with your tank is to, to buy the SP 445 because, uh, well, uh, or wait for that. Uh, do you have a Do you have a Patterson tank for your medium format, or? Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, because there is a new. There is a guy who's doing this three D printing thing where he he created this. Um, um, uh, it was. Uh, it's been circulating for for a few weeks where he created this uh, insert for the uh, for the Patterson tanks. Uh, there's this. Um, there's room for six sheets in in that contraption where he 3d prints it but the those two are probably the same price uh, and um, the only thing i can say about the the sp445 is they they still um, invent stuff for for that tank and and i i quite like the idea of um, go, going along on the evolution of that tank and they are bringing out new uh, lids with with the temperature uh, directly in the lid with an LCD screen on the lid, and uh, that that was my only thing that I wanted to say to you um, is that um, in the beginning I I watched a lot of YouTube videos uh, about recipes about development about uh, I've just shot a, a roll of Kodak Triax um, uh, and I have this sort of developer. And I saw two videos where two guys develop in two different ways, and I, I liked the one better than the other, so I did the exact same thing as the one I, that I liked. And when I did it, it looked nowhere near uh, the results that he got. So the, the, what I sort of found out is that there are so many variables in, not necessarily in the way you develop it, but in the temperature and in the water, not not to not to say the least, the the hardness of the water, 
um, uh, makes a big difference uh, in to me at least uh, in developing and and I just stopped watching YouTube videos and and on, on development and just figured it out myself. I I just need to take six or twelve sheets of of uh, Fomapan just straight out the window, uh, pointing at my garage and then marking each shot and developing in and uh, one in Ilfotech, one in H uh, in Rodinal, one stand develop, one normal develop. Um, if the massive development chart said um, one plus twenty five at eight minutes, let's say I did one sheet at six minutes, one at eight, and one at ten, just to see how it messes up the negative. And um, so I just did that, and I just found out that for me, when I want the same results as a guy in Canada or a guy in Germany, I have to do other things that he does and and my syringe when i do five milliliters if i stop a little bit before five and he stops a little bit after five and if he uh, i know that many many people wants to um, calculate the time it takes to pour out the developer like you did uh, but just to test it just to see what difference it make if if you pour out the chemicals at exactly six minutes instead of five minutes and 45 uh, just to see how tiny that difference is or how big that difference is. It's just made the world of difference to me in my development, at least. And I, I see now that I need to find my way for my water, for my temperature, uh, for, for everything that I own, uh, how old my chemicals are. And, and uh, uh, if, if I buy a brand new chemical from Norway, it's probably been on the shelf for a long, long time before someone buys it. But... In the UK, you can buy a, a shipment that came uh, yesterday. Uh, do you know what I mean? So there's so many differences that I would recommend mm -hmm. you to just take the time and have fun and just experiment with, with whatever you sort of land on. If it's rodinol or something else, just find that perfect balance and then uh, you can have a sort of a starting point each time you develop uh, a sheet of film. I think that's, that's, that's great advice. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think we'll have to end it at, at that. And, um, man, we should do another episode where we talk just purely film because uh, this is very interesting to me. And and maybe we could do one episode in a, in a few weeks when you've done a few more shots and you've developed a few more sheets and maybe you found a better solution for what works for you, et cetera. And we can, we can talk about uh, how you came to those uh, conclusions. No, that, that'd be good. I can also talk about all the, the errors and new things I've wait, found to, to mess my photography up as well with large format. <laughs> yeah. And I can, I can try to remember all my mistakes uh, where, that I did in the beginning and write those down and, of course, I still makes mistakes, but nowadays I finally uh, I'm to this point that all the mistakes are are stuff that I do out of stupidity. Like the other day, I I developed one roll of Kodak Triax and one roll of Delta thirty two hundred and one roll of Kentmere four hundred at the same time uh, in three different tanks of course but oh okay <laughs> but uh, with three different dilutions three different times 
and uh, only one canister of fixer and one canister of stop bath. So I had to do uh, about 48 minutes of constantly second guessing and judging my own if if yeah. I, and after i put the films in each tank i i was like wait is that the delta or is that the triax and then i uh, luckily i i made it happen but that's the, that's a sort of like thing when you when you think you have it all figured out you start to be stupid in developing and yeah. do shortcuts all right well thank you uh, so much for the chat simon and um Maybe you can uh, direct uh, your uh, your listeners. I mean, my listeners. This is my podcast. I have to remember that. <laughs> uh, my listener, I should say. It's probably just Mike Gutterman listening. Hi, Mike. How are you? Hi, Mike. <laughs> and uh, maybe you can direct him to, to find your photography. Okay. Well, um, the main main place... Uh, that I put most of my photos up because ultimately I, I still do more digital than uh, than uh, than film. Although that said, though I, I, I post my my film photography uh, goes into the same group, and that's the uh, Facebook group Photography with Classic Lenses. Um, and you you don't have to. It's an open group, which means that you don't actually have to be um, a member of Facebook. Anyone can actually look at the photography on the group. So uh, if you're one of these people that's phobic and there are plenty of them phobic of Facebook, you can actually still see stuff on Facebook if you, if you, if you wanted to. So uh, that's where most, most of my stuff is. I've got a, um, a page on, uh, Facebook as well, which is under Simon Forster photography. I also put most of my stuff up there. Um, I'm pretty active on Instagram now. And uh, again, you can find me as Simon Forster Photographic. Um, by the way, Forster is spelled F-O-R-S-T-E-R. Um, people sometimes think it's Foster or Forrester, but it's actually in between the two of them. Um, and then other things, I've also got a uh, a website where I sell um, some of the gear that uh, I buy and sell, uh, but more to the point, I sell a range of K&F lens adapters to allow people to use uh, old lenses on uh, modern cameras or predominantly mirrorless uh, cameras. And that website is simonforsterphotographic.co.uk. Um, yeah, I'm also on Flickr as well, uh, and I've got an eBay shop. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm I'm all I'm all over the place, um, and I even do a little bit on Twitter. But you know that that sort of comes and goes. So um, yeah, so I'm out there in a few places. I can put some some links in the description, and and uh, maybe people can check out all of your or all of your stuff. Oh, I forgot the classic. I did this when I was. I went on Sunday sixteen, and I, I, I did made exactly the same error. Um, I, I I also have a podcast, <laughs> <laughs> um, um, and uh, so you can if you just do a search for uh, classic lenses podcast, and uh, I do that every week with uh, Carl Havens and Johnny Sisson. Um, and we're, we're on iTunes, but there's, there's loads of places to get podcasts these days. So if you just Google classic lenses podcast, um, and if you've never listened to it before, don't bother with episode one or, uh, <laughs> or just, or just cope with it, episode one. And it, it seems to get better. So, uh, so there we go. Nice. Well, well, I have, uh, I've, I don't have a particularly Instagram page or Facebook group or, or anything. What I have done is I've started a Flickr group for this podcast uh, and it has uh, the whopping uh, number of one members 
so far, uh, excluding me, and it's uh, the wonderful Matt Jones uh, who supports me uh, with this podcast by being a member. So I can recommend that uh, wonderful uh, Flickr group for everyone who listens to this podcast. And the idea of that group is to uh, sort of be a, a smaller community than the 2000 groups of uh, of camera with the um, classic lenses or photography with classic lenses and the negative positive uh, facebook uh, group so hopefully it will be a, a sort of a closer circle of uh, members where the discussion can be a little bit more uh, long term and and we can we can post about our projects and and uh, and our ideas and thoughts around film photography well, I'll I'll join that because I'm on Flickr as well. But that's that's assuming that Flickr is going to be around for <laughs> a reasonable amount of time after what's been going on with Flickr and uh, having to pay for it or uh, restrictions on the uh, number of free photos you're allowed on there. So uh, it's not a happy place, is it, Flickr at the moment? Well, it, actually, in my in my mind, that's a good thing because that means that someone is uh, talking about the platform. They're having board meetings about it and. They're probably thinking that if we're going to evolve this thing, we need some sort of income and blah, blah, blah. So there, something is happening. I, I think it's a good thing. But so far, it's free. A thousand images is quite a lot, especially if you do large format photography, right? So, <laughs> Yeah, but I'm taking more on large format than the other. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And on that note, uh, we will uh, say our goodbyes and we'll talk to you in the next episode.